Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from number six Belmont Street, discussing the 1974 classic horror slasher, Black Christmas. This film was directed by Bob Clark and written by Roy Moore. Despite receiving mixed reviews at the time of its release, Black Christmas has gone on to earn its place among horror's most beloved films. The film is an influential staple to the slasher subgenre, inspiring many films that came after it. Perhaps the most notable of these films is John Carpenter's Halloween. So, what did you guys think of Black Christmas the first time you saw it? I think the first time I seen it was at your parents' house. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know you hadn't seen it before. Yeah, I never even knew this was a movie. Wow. Like, so at that all. was last Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Uh, I do like the movie. Uh, it's got problems <laughs> for me, <laughs> but I like it. It's really, it's, I can see where other movies, you know, were inspired by this. Absolutely. Because it does do a lot that I, I'm like, oh, shit, that's where they must have got this from. You know what I mean? Creepy mm-hmm. calls, you know, people in the house, you don't know whatever or whatnot and all that. And But it's it's really good. I did enjoy this movie. Like I said, I've got some issues with it. But overall, <laughs> I think this is a really good movie, solid movie. I totally agree. I think that it's interesting that you hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Something, I don't know. I know this movie has, the film definitely has cult status, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's, kind of underappreciated. I totally agree. You know, and it's uh, part of it is because I think a lot of the elements that a lot of people took from it, they kind of did it better. Well, because they had something to build on. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, you look at Halloween and you're like, man, this is fucking perfect. But this movie kind of walked so Halloween could run. 100%. But no, I remember the first time we watched it when we were kids, probably. (laughs) This is a running theme on this show. We probably shouldn't have been watching it. (laughs) No, we definitely should not have been watching it. But I remember the story that dad always told us Mm -hmm. when he was a kid and he watched it. They watched it in the living room on the bottom floor of the house, turned off the TV, and they were like, all right, go to bed. (laughs) And his bed, of course, is upstairs. No, of course. Alone in the corner. (laughs) And so that's always, anytime I watch this movie, I just think about that story with dad. (laughs) Yeah, I literally think of dad every time I watch this movie. Because like growing up, our mom was kind of the one that would kind of champion and like introduce us to a lot of scary movies and stuff like that. Right. This was the one that our dad was like, this scared the (laughs) hell out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) This one and probably the entity Mm -hmm. I associate with my dad. But the movie itself, I kind of want to double down on what you said about it being really underappreciated. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people haven't seen this. And probably a lot of younger people have only seen the remakes that are kind of insulting to this story. But (laughs) I don't know if there was something in the water in 1974, but this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which Mm -hmm. are giant stepping stones to horror movies that we have today. Right. It's like... And the slasher subgenre in particular. 100. Yeah. yeah, Just flat out. And watching Halloween, it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. You can see the influence. We talked up Psycho a lot on our Halloween episode, but there's... We should have been talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I really love this movie. I feel like more people should be singing its praises and that maybe we should stop remaking it. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, I didn't even know about that until I started looking up stuff for this movie. Oh, mm-hmm. man. And then I was like, there's more of these? I was like, what? Yeah. But And then when I asked you guys and y'all were like, don't, you don't need to. <laughs> Please don't. That really sucks, too, because I feel like if this movie, this movie's fine the way it is, mm-hmm. but if you would remake it, do it right. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Do it justice so that this movie can be proud of it. Because that sucks when they remake movies and they ruin them, and then it's like we we don't want to talk about it. No, <laughs> don't put a blemish on this. No, exactly. This movie's reputation, and it makes it worse because now we have to say Black Christmas, nineteen seventy four. Yeah, let me yeah. be specific. Yeah, it's funny because Black Christmas is the perfect title for this film. Oh yeah, but I read on IMDb that in the states it was released under the title Silent Night. Evil Night, which is first. First of all, it's fucking terrible. It's a bit it, much. It sounds like a WWE movie. It yes, it really like does. Kane's gonna come out somewhere, and it, yeah. And the reason they changed it was because they said that Black Christmas sounded like a black exploitation film, and they didn't want people to get the wrong idea. <laughs> the other thing is Bob Clark making this, making Porky's, and making a Christmas story. Just versatility. Yeah, talk about versatility. Oh, no, yeah. Good Lord. I like both of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we climb into this film's attic, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's answer the call. So the film opens immediately with the title over a sorority house lit up in Christmas lights. Silent Night plays as the credits roll. Why is it that in this context, it sounds horrifying? Oh, it does. (laughs) Because you know bad stuff is coming. Yeah. The music stops and we see a woman walk up to the house. She goes inside and we see her through the window walking around the ground floor and passing other women that are in the house. We continue to watch them through the window. But next, we're in the point of view of someone breathing heavily and walking up to the front door. Now, again, sounds very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) We continue to look toward the windows in this same point of view and then up to the second floor. So the thing for me about these shots is whenever John Carpenter did them, it seemed like you were almost floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this feels very much like you're walking it's and yeah. yeah, super unstable and it it gives a completely different like it was almost ghost-like in Halloween. Yeah. But in this it's like, "Oh, who the fuck are yeah. we?" <laughs> you're all disoriented. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What the hell? Like, am I drunk? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I had some it, hit the it, eggnog. It does like it's creepy. It's really yeah. weird. Very it's very like, much so. Hell? Inside Barb, played by Margot Kidder, comes downstairs and closes the front door, scolding whoever left it open. Outside, the heavy breathing continues as we retreat from the front door. We look up again at the second floor and literally begin climbing a trellis that's on the side of the house. I think the trellis might be the worst invention ever. <laughs> right. They shouldn't be in horror movies at all. Just come on up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we laid out a ladder for you. Yeah. Literally. The thing about this I read in Icons of Fright, there was an interview with Bob Clark mm-hmm. because this is basically like the first GoPro shot ever. <laughs> Oh, shit. You know, because it's it's a device that they made for this film because the Panaglide wasn't invented until 76. This is 74. Jeez. And so they literally made an apparatus for the cameraman to have on his head slash shoulder because you see both his arms climbing yeah. up. Yeah, no, he's climbing. And you're like, how the fuck is he doing this? You know, 
Is he a spy? Is it like James Bond glasses or something? <laughs> but no, they invented something for this, just for this. Well, it works. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you're immersed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can tell the difference in the oh, cameras. Yeah. <laughs> but. That is true. Back inside, the phone rings and Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, answers. She tells Barb that it's a long distance call for her and Barb leaves to take it in the other room. Back in the other point of view outside, we open a window and climb inside an attic. Downstairs, somebody at the party announces that the party's over and all the men need to leave. The camera pans up to the ladder leading to the attic inside. So it's like this attic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't a different house. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say dude's fro is on point. Oh, yeah. Oh, the guy in the living room? Yeah, the hairline's a little back, but (laughs) But (laughs) I was like, yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) It reminds you it is the 70s. Yes, no, it is. And we'll we'll talk more about him later. (laughs) So back in that point of view of the intruder... We're looking down out of the door of the attic and we hear Barb connect with her mother's phone call. We see hands grip both sides of the like opening the door yeah. like mm-hmm. someone's preparing to climb down. It's like, fuck. like shit's okay already. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say we're so far removed from needing operators on the phone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That it's so strange to me in movies where they say that. I'm like, I genuinely can't even wrap my head <laughs> <laughs> around someone at a switchboard. It's no, we literally have a phone in our pocket. Exactly. We see him slowly start to climb down. And right down the stairs from where he stands, we see Barb still talking on the phone with her back to him. Now, I want to make it clear that we do not see him or his face. Right. No. We kind of see like shadows or mm-hmm. we see it from his point of view, but we, we don't see who this is. Right. I like that a lot. Me too. At the door downstairs, Claire, played by Lynn Griffin, kisses her boyfriend, Chris, played by Art Hindle, goodbye. He's the one that's wearing David Putty's coat, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the background on the phone, we hear Barb call her mother a gold-plated whore. Yes, yeah, dude. yes. <laughs> that's the kind oh, of shit. man. Like, only rich kids could get away with that For shit, real? right? That's so funny. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck did she call her mom? Un- unapologetically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just- but Barb hangs up with her mom looking upset. She goes into the next room and asks if anyone wants to go skiing with her since I guess her mom is renting a place. And I don't know if her mom like is a gold plated whore because she backed out, but I don't know. Um, I don't see anything. Gold plate is yeah, great. I don't. <laughs> Maybe she's like, you look great on the outside. But, but I'm really yeah. upset with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jess and Phil, played by Andrea Martin, say yes. But Claire says no because she has other plans. Interesting thing I read on IMDb is that Phil was supposed to be played by Gilda Radner. What? Yeah, but then I guess there's conflicting stories. Some people say her SNL schedule got in the way. Some people say she used it as an excuse not to do the movie. Oh. And so I don't know which is which, but she's not here. She's not in the film. (laughs) (laughs) The phone rings again and Jess goes to answer it. She does and tells everyone to pipe down because it's him again, the moaner. Well, yeah, she kind of says that. (laughs) So this has been a problem. Right. I kind of like that we're being thrown into this story where this isn't the first call. Yeah. And we have to learn about it. Yeah. And I kind of I let me make a note here because I have a theory that pertains to that. But we can't talk about it yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the entire house gathers around the phone. It's like nine, ten girls. Right. Yeah. and they're listening to the caller breathe heavily and make choking and moaning sounds. Now, eventually, the call gives way to screaming and the caller asking to lick. 
of female body part. Right. You get the idea. He snorts and laughs as the camera scans over the faces of the girls, and they are all understandably very disturbed. So this is got some when a stranger calls vibes. Right. Which gets credit for this plot point when Black Christmas did it first. Very much first. Yeah. So the caller continues to make aggressively sexual demands until Barb takes the phone. She tells him to stick his tongue in a wall socket and then calls him a creep. And just before she hangs up, he calmly says, I'm going to kill you. And then hangs up the phone. And Barb, her face kind of changes when he says that. Like she had not counted on that. No. But (laughs) two things here. One, Barb has a smart mouth and I love it. I love Barb. I think she's she's my favorite character in the whole movie. She's fucking hilarious. The other thing is if we're going on, you know, the female body part thing, the caller said something about his male body part. That he <laughs> his male body part. He said he said it was juicy, which <laughs> is not frightening. That's just fucking hilarious. Like, look, he's clearly going off book here. Yeah, right? he's like, this is all from the dome. I, <laughs> I actually read that the calls in this movie, and there are more calls in this movie. Mm-hmm. They were added in later, and so the actresses in the scenes are <laughs> reacting to Bob Clark basically talking shit to them and threatening them off camera. So they're Mm. like, oh, but none of this shit is actually what's being said to them in real time. Well, because I imagine their reactions would be way worse. (laughs) Yeah. Was it just me or did this kind of sound like Reagan was just making a prank call on (laughs) there? I was like, the noises and shit. I was like, oh my God. And you hear them on top of each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, how's he doing that? No, he's he's very talented. It's Exorcist. (laughs) Fucking Pazuzu. There you go. (laughs) He took his lessons from Janet from uh, Enfield. (laughs) (laughs) Claire tells Barb that she doesn't think that Barb should be provoking him, especially since a girl from town was just raped a couple weeks ago. And then Barb makes a horrible joke. You Mm -hmm. can't rape a townie. Nobody is amused. Claire leaves to go pack and is seemingly disgusted by Barb. That's when uh, Barb's barbs went a little too far. (laughs) A lot of too far. Yeah. But she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Again, unapologetic. Mm -mm. Jess starts to go after Claire, telling her that Barb didn't mean anything by it. And Claire's basically like, it's fine. And just goes upstairs. Jess tells Barb to leave Claire alone because she's had enough trouble fitting in. And Barb says she knows a professional virgin when she sees one. So again, we're not. What the fuck? How much are they paying? I don't. <laughs> we're not back. Professional. I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't get that insult. But they all take it so harshly like, oh, we've all heard. <laughs> yeah. Barb. Yeah. Just then, Mrs. Mack, played by Marion Waldman, comes in. <laughs> her hands full of wrapped gifts. The women all rush to her, telling her they have a surprise for her. Upstairs, Claire goes into her room and finds Mrs. Mac's cat, Claude, a.k.a. the fluffiest cat in the fucking world. That cat looks so soft. <laughs> he did. I was like, oh, hey, there's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, I thought Barb was my favorite yeah, character. No. I was wrong. Mm-mm. But Claude is sitting on Claire's bed. Claire goes into her closet and takes out clothes to pack. As she moves back to the bed, though, the camera zooms in on rustling dry cleaning bags. The music is so unsettling here. Yeah. During this sequence. Yeah. I read on Chiller that the composer, I guess, tied forks and knives to the interior of his piano. And so when he played it, you hear like these weird distort because you hear that. Yeah. Yes. It just yeah. does not sound right or natural, but it's perfect for this. Wow. Yeah. 
It does. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. That's very creative, too. Very, because it works. And then suddenly we're in the point of view of someone watching her through the bags. Back in the regular view, Claire looks suspiciously back at the closet and we hear Claude meow. So thinking that it's Claude, but continuing to ask who's there, she goes back into the closet. So it's Michael Winslow. (laughs) (laughs) That's a deep cut, I guess. (laughs) To make in 2020. A train? A dog? What? (laughs) Claire is abruptly grabbed through the dry cleaning bags and she tries her best to scream. But downstairs, the rest of the women in the house are cheering and laughing loudly as Mrs. Mack admires her gift, which is a house dress. And she does not no. like the gift. <laughs> Real quick. Oh, my God. I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. That guy hiding in that bag like that. <laughs> it's like, if I just look like a dress, she's it's not totally... going to notice. Hey, it worked. Well, it, it did. It honestly but... shouldn't have because from her view, you can see a man. Oh, no, yeah. You could see him right there. It yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> It it is unnerving. It's you know what I mean. For it's sure. Like, no, is it's that creepy. really somebody there or no? But you can see him right there. <laughs> but like I said, Mrs. Mac does not like her house dress. She even equates it to a chastity belt. <laughs> but they all laugh and encourage her to put it on, so she does. As we hear them continuing to laugh and applaud, we see someone walking around on the upstairs landing and continuing to breathe heavily. <laughs> Not giving a fuck. No, oh no, no. Wandering They're around busy. up there. They're Anybody busy. could come upstairs at yeah. any point. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in the house. Yes. The camera pans back up to the opening of the attic as we see the door slowly close. I love how it conveniently leaves out how he maneuvered the both of them up that yeah. ladder. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> Mrs. Max shoes the girls out of the room and off to bed. And immediately after they've gone... She makes her way to the bookcase and takes down the Encyclopedia Volume B, as she affectionately remarks, B for booze. I've never seen anybody enjoy liquor this much. (laughs) She's like in love. Yeah. Yeah. I read on Wikipedia that Bob Clark crafted this character after his own aunt. Yikes. Which is, she's funny, but also she's clearly got a problem. She's got a drinking problem. (laughs) She opens the book, like we said, to reveal a cutout for a bottle of alcohol. She happily takes the bottle and drinks it deeply. She hears someone coming and quickly puts the bottle back. Jess and Phil come back into the room as the phone begins to ring again. Phil answers it apprehensively, but it's just Jess's boyfriend, Peter. Jess takes the phone and we learn that Peter didn't make the party because he was exhausted from practicing for a piano recital that he has. Yeah. Or like a rehearsal or a tryout or it's something. It's like a conservatory something. I don't yeah. I don't understand. But yeah. <laughs> and I know we talk a lot about how much this movie inspired, but Jess's sweater, I guess, inspired Rockefeller Records because of the fucking <laughs> the hands. hands. I don't quite understand what that is. I was wondering that too. I was like, what I wanna know what's on a sweater. Yeah, like, what, what does it have to do with yeah. Christmas? <laughs> but Jess insists that she needs to talk to Peter. And when he asks what's wrong, she tells him nothing. They just need to talk, which is a literal nightmare for me. Yeah. But it's like, just fucking tell me now. <laughs> I, um, my anxiety will not allow. No. But even when he tells her just to tell him, she says it needs to be face to face and she'll talk to him tomorrow. And when they get off the phone, he tells her he loves her, to which she replies, I know. And that oh, she'll yeah. see him tomorrow. I'd take it back. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> wait, 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 wait. Never I mind. don't love you. Yeah. And then he says goodnight and she doesn't say it back. Yeah. No, she, hangs she hangs up the phone. No. Nope. I'd be like, I got something I need to talk to you about too then. Cause... <laughs> In Mrs. Mack's bathroom upstairs, she's making a production of brushing her teeth. She opens up the medicine cabinet and looks disappointed until she remembers the bottle that she has stashed in the toilet tank. No bag. No, it's just fucking naked in there. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what I wrote. No bag, no case. (laughs) You just. What if the water got in there? Yeah. Not only that, the water is surrounding the top. Mm -hmm. So now you're fixing to put your mouth on that dirty ass. (laughs) Yeah. And the way she drinks, she puts her mouth around the whole thing. Oh, oh, yeah. She doesn't waterfall it. No. No. Not Mrs. Matt. I was like, please waterfall it. No. Or at least like get a (laughs) towel or something and try to dry off some of that water that's going to spill on you from the toilet. A hundred percent. Not only does she drink it, though, she uses it to rinse out her mouth from brushing her teeth. Now, I I would argue that this scene could be cut. Because we just Probably. saw her, yeah. like, not literally the scene before. No, he's like, oh, yeah. getting really a liquor trying stash. to yes. drive the point home. Or at least move it later. I don't know. Yeah. Down the hall, though, Jess knocks on Claire's door, but obviously receives no answer. So she just walks away disappointed. But then we jarringly see Claire's face suffocated and still wrapped in the plastic dry cleaning bag. She's sitting in a rocking chair while a man crazedly sings the lullaby by Baby Bunting. And it's horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah. Also, a lot of horror films incorporate rabbits into them. I don't know why that is. (laughs) I don't know either. But a crazy thing I read on Terror Trap is they really had that bag on the actress's head. And she apparently was like a swimmer in her day. Yeah. And so she basically said that she just called upon that to hold her breath the whole time. Jeez. I'm like, you are a fucking yeah. machine. Yeah. I could never. Absolutely yeah, no, not. Hell no. 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 And you got about five seconds with the thing <laughs> on your head. You better slide yeah, footage down. Yeah. <laughs> Take pictures and just put, you know, the little motion behind it yeah. so it looks real. Uh-uh. And it is a iconic, horrifying oh, yeah. visual. Yeah. But the scene gives way to a clock tower. The crazed singing fades out as the clock starts to chime. We pan down to see Mr. Harrison, played by James Edmond, and he's pacing and looking around and checking his watch. He's the personification of a man waiting for someone who is late. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But suddenly he is hit in the face with a snowball (laughs) and we hear kids off screen laughing. That was so funny because he is. He's just standing there and then whack right in the face. Just like, fuck you, old man. They're They're just laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're not even sorry about it. No. And then he goes all Velma Dinkley with his glasses. My glasses. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but yeah, his glasses are knocked off and he drops to his knees to look for them. A man comes over and apologizes for not keeping a better eye on the kids. So he helps Mr. Harrison with his glasses and Mr. Harrison stops him before he walks off. We learn that he's Claire's father and that she was supposed to meet him here. The guy says he knows her, but he hasn't seen her. He gives Mr. Harrison directions to the sorority house. I do think it is kind of a coincidence that he does know Claire. Well, they're on campus. But he's the first person that this guy talks to. (laughs) Well, they're on campus. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing we see is a very unhappy Santa Claus being played by Phil's boyfriend. Yeah, it's Fro Guy. Yeah, the Afro that you were talking about (laughs) earlier. Fro (laughs) Guy. But he starts the scene by saying, ho, 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 shit. It's... 
just i don't know <laughs> the fact that children are around just makes it yeah. Yeah. Funnier. i thought that i was like he doesn't give a fuck no, no not at and all there's a kid on his lap yes mm-hmm. i was like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> But he's learned that Phil is going away skiing with Barb instead of going on the trip that he had planned for them. Barb scolds him for his language. And like you said, not only are kids present, there's one on his lap. Yeah. But he continues to cuss, uh, ho, 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 fuck. And then he calls her a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Barb's like, isn't Santa naughty? And the kid goes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, honestly, not not my best experience with Santa. (laughs) Back at the sorority house, Mrs. Mack tries to assure Mr. Harrison that Claire is probably just at that Christmas party at the fraternity that we just saw. Mm-hmm. Mr. Harrison is distracted by a poster on the wall of an old woman flipping the bird. <laughs> he's really offended by it. Yeah, he yeah. says he's very disappointed by the atmosphere and he's going to do something about it. What so, you- <laughs> but I mean, we kind of see, I guess, where Claire gets her true professional right, virgin right. status of kind of being a goody two shoes or whatever because her dad can't even laugh at an old woman flip. that's hilarious yeah. I, yeah I thought that was a really good poster <laughs> that appeals to all demographics all <laughs> definitely come on Mr. Harrison yeah get with it but he sees a framed photo of Chris and Mrs. Mack explains that he's a townie he's a friend of Claire's she assures him that Claire's a good girl and she's sure she's just at the party at the frat house not a party it's a children's christmas event it's almost like charity yeah so she says she'll show him where it is if he'll give her a ride to a nearby store and you know they he agrees one thing is he's like i didn't send my daughter to you know yeah whatever hang out with boys and all that stuff but i'm like a she's an adult and b even if you paid for it it's college in the 70s was it like 50 bucks (laughs) (laughs) they paid you i think exactly yeah so i'm like chill out man this entire conversation, Mrs. Mack has been trying to hide a poster of, I'll describe it as best I can. It's a peace sign made with a girl's legs open, forming the V part, right. mm-hmm. and then a guy's butt over her forming the line that goes down the middle. It's funny. It's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. very, very creative. It is. And uh, the whole time she's been trying to hide it, she's leaning against it. She puts her <laughs> hand over it. It's really funny because as soon as she leaves, he looks... Because she was very obviously right, yeah. hiding something. But as dark as this movie is, there is a lot of comedic. Moments. Oh, yeah. And maybe it's just me, but the comedy lands. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. It doesn't feel out of place. It no. doesn't feel cheesy. It's not like inappropriate to get a no, laugh. Like it's, no. it's funny. It's like genuinely funny. It does feel of its time, but in yeah. like the best way. Yeah. The next thing we see is Mrs. Matt getting ready to go and mocking Mr. Harrison as she puts on her hat, like what you were saying, I didn't send my daughter, yeah. to, you know. It seemed like they just turn on the camera and let her go. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> as she starts putting on her lipstick, she hears a sound and thinking it's Claude, the cat, she goes into the hallway calling out to him with just half of her lipstick on her yeah. mouth. As she looks down the stairs, the contents of her purse spill out and she sits down to pick them back up, still calling out for Claude. Just as she starts to cuss at the cat, Mr. (laughs) Harrison comes into view and, of course, looks at her judgmentally. He pops up out of nowhere. Yeah, that's funny. But when he walks away, she flips him off. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing I did forget to mention, I read on IMDb that the person that they initially approached to play Mrs. Mack was Betty Davis. (sighs) But she said no. God damn it. I would have. Could you imagine? I love Betty Davis. Like as funny as this character is already, if it was Betty (laughs) Davis. I would have loved that. Yeah. Now I'm just disappointed. (laughs) 
From above, we see Mr. Harrison and Mrs. Mack getting into his car outside. The camera pulls back and we see that we're looking at them from the attic window and that Claire, still with the plastic around her face, is still propped up in the chair sitting right next to the window. The way that it switches focus, yeah, it's like the irony of it that they're searching for her. She's, She's right, right there. Yeah. Here. Right there, man. She's right. And right by the window. Oh, yes. no, yeah. Look up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when I guess like a music room, Jess tells her boyfriend, Peter, played by Kira D'Elia, that she's pregnant. He's excited and she immediately follows it up with the fact that she doesn't want the baby and she wants an abortion. Peter tells her that she can't make that decision alone. And she says she wasn't even going to tell him in the first place. And it's kind of like, well, then why did you? That but, is, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. one thing, I mean, first of all, this is a very serious subplot for yeah. a slasher yeah. film. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. Right. But the second thing is, A, of course it's her choice, but B, I feel like she could have waited until after his recital to tell him or <laughs> oh, yeah. or just not tell him at all. I feel like don't tell him. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, very, very heavy subject matter compounded with the fact that Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. was the year before this movie came out. It was 1973. Oh, shit. So this is like topical, topical controversial. Mm -hmm. And I also want to give this movie some props because in any other film, Jess would have been the good girl who like may maybe her problem is Peter wants to have sex, but she doesn't want to. It's like, right, no, right. we had sex. I'm pregnant. I want an abortion. Like yeah. it's, it's very, I respect it a lot. They killed the girl, Claire, that you would expect to be. Yeah. Jess. Yeah. So they were subverting a trope that really hadn't even completely been, been established invented yet. yet. Huh. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. But I just, I thought that was really cool. But anyway, <laughs> They start to argue, Peter asserting that he wants them to have the baby and just being certain that she just can't. He tells her that she doesn't think about anybody but herself and that she knew today was very important to him. He tells her to leave. And when she goes for the door, he stops her to say, hey, let's let's just talk tonight at night. <laughs> she says yes. The next thing we see is Mr. Harrison at the Christmas party on the phone with his wife, explaining that he's sure everything's fine and he's been talking to a friend of Claire's. The friend of Claire's is Barb sitting behind him, letting a child drink alcohol. She is just herself yeah. all the time. I think we could all, I'm honestly jealous. We could all be a little more ourselves all the time. Yeah. Maybe not giving <laughs> alcohol Children to like alcohol, a five-year-old, yeah. but you know. But here we are. Other ways. He, and what, she's like, the little guy's wasted or yeah. something. Like and Mr. Harrison's like, Jesus. <laughs> Can't even believe it. But he tells his wife that he'll be spending the night there because it's too late to head home. Back at the sorority house, the phone rings and Jess answers it. When nobody answers, she assumes it's the obscene caller again. But before she hangs up, a woman's voice yells the name Billy. When Jess tells the voice that they have the wrong number, a man's voice intercepts and says that they need to know what Billy has done with baby Agnes. Jess insists that they have the wrong number. And as the woman's voice begins to yell again, she hangs up. Now, I'm saying woman's voice and man's voice. It's the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Doing some amazing <laughs> yeah. voice throwing ventriloquism. Incredible. Very unnerving. And so because of this call, henceforth be referring to the man as Billy. Yes. Yeah. Because I was going to say, who the fuck is Billy? <laughs> yeah. What? What? <laughs> What's interesting is Bob Clark wrote an entire backstory I read on IMDb wow. for this Billy, this Agnes, this whole family situation. Mm -hmm. 
Unfortunately, it was completely fleshed out in the 2006 remake to, in my opinion, really bad results. Mm. I like the ambiguity of it. I like watching a movie and being like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I, no, ma- yeah. I made my own backstory. <laughs> <laughs> Writing fan fiction over here? I did. In the next scene, Phil and Mr. Harrison are at the police station with Barb giving the officer at the desk, Sergeant Nash, played by Doug McGrath, a very hard time about not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Mr. Harrison kind of has a look on his face like, well, I don't agree with her methods, but (laughs) 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 it's getting the job done. I mean, but Sergeant Nash gives Mr. Harrison papers to fill out to declare Claire missing. But the officer tells him that if it's any condolence, most of the time when a college girl goes missing, she's shacked up with her boyfriend somewhere. And Mr. Harrison does not take solace in this. How is that not consolation? At least your daughter's not dead. Because he seems so, he's wound so fucking tight. He's like, I'm, I'd rather her be dead than off having sex with a boy. Well, Jeez. you need to <laughs> reorganize Prioritize. Your, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Back at the sorority house, Jess helps in Mrs. Mack, who literally stumbles in carrying groceries. <laughs> She tells Mrs. Mack about the phone call, saying that this time a woman was screaming and a man was wailing. Mrs. Mack pays it no mind, changing the subject to Mr. Harrison coming by. She tells Jess that she may still get a chance to say goodbye to Claire because she never met up with her father. This entire time, this whole conversation, Jess is off screen and Mrs. Mack is rummaging through the closet for... You guessed it. She takes out a box and is disappointed to find the bottle empty. And then she stomps away. You clearly have a problem. (laughs) She's like fucking mad. Yeah. She's like, damn it. I already ran through this one. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Back at the police station, Sergeant Nash asks Barb for the number for the sorority house. She gives him the number. Fellatio 20880. (laughs) When he looks at her perplexed, she doubles down. Fellatio, it's a new exchange. He's like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just a moron. She's like, and ask for IP freely. Yeah. Like, right. What the fuck? Isn't See he more supposed buttons. to be an adult? Yes. Yeah. How do you not? He's supposed yeah. to be. <laughs> and when he asks her to spell it, she does so with a grin. Yeah. He's like, all right, yeah, how do you spell that? <laughs> I trust her. She did just call me an asshole earlier or whatever, but I trust her. In the next scene, Jess arrives at a hockey practice and knocks on the glass divider. Now, I don't... Is it a goalie in hockey? I think so. Yes. Okay. The goalie (laughs) is Claire's boyfriend, Chris. (laughs) When he sees her, he calls for a break. She asks him if he's seen Claire and he tells her that she left with her parents. But Jess says that Claire never left and Chris starts to look concerned. Mm-hmm. She says that when Mr. Harrison, Phil, and Barb went to file a police report, they didn't take them seriously because they assume that Claire is shacked up somewhere. And he gets pissed. No, Chris yeah. is, is not happy. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't be oh, either. No, of course. <laughs> the next thing we see is Peter's recital. <laughs> now, Peter is playing the hell out of that piano. He is. He's sweating his ass off and putting his all into it. But the judges are stone faced as Peter continues to make mistake after mistake during his performance. Mm -hmm. There is sadness in that chord structure. (laughs) (laughs) For a second, I thought he was doing it on purpose. I thought, yeah, I was like, it's 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 a dissonant piece where, you know, I yeah, (laughs) I thought the same thing. But his face is like, his his face is like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I am ruining this. Well, after he finishes, he hangs his head in shame. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we don't have to tell you, do we? You already know, right? (laughs) right. You didn't get in. (laughs) But you know what we're fixing to say, right? (laughs) 
Back at the police station, a woman is tearfully reporting her 13-year-old daughter missing to Lieutenant Ken Fuller, played by John Saxon. John Saxon. Right? Yes. It's Nancy's dad. Yeah. yeah. Always playing a cop. A cop. Again. Yeah. 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 He tries to downplay what's going on because the 13-year-old is only a few hours late coming home, but the mom is like, Listen. no. Yeah. Suddenly, Chris bursts in with Jess trailing behind him, telling Nash that he's a stupid son of a bitch that has a big goddamn mouth. <laughs> Without a word, Lieutenant Fuller leaves the lady making the report and goes over to Chris. Chris dismisses Sergeant Nash and demands for Lieutenant Fuller to tell him why nothing is being done about Claire. Lieutenant Fuller says something that makes it seem like Chris has connections to the police department. He's like, says something about his brother yeah. or something yeah. like that. I, it was odd. And they're talking to each other using their first names. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you... We know each other somehow. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is kind of a problem because they were not going to take it seriously until someone with connections yeah. came in. Yeah. Well, he, well, fucked up. It's my understanding, the way that they say townie and stuff, the girls aren't locals. They're just going to school here. Right. So I guess for a townie that they know to come in and be like, no, this is serious. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, shit, maybe it's serious. This is serious. So because you're not from there, it's not <laughs> yeah. serious? I mean, die. We don't yeah. care. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that painted on the side of their cars? You can die. <laughs> we don't, don't care. Don't get killed here. <laughs> Nash just looks on as Chris introduces Jess to Lieutenant Fuller. Fuller tells Nash to bring him the file on Claire as he takes Chris and Jess into his office. And I'm like, what about that poor woman? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. He's like, this is more. This is a townie. Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> Back at the sorority house, Mrs. Mack is clearing the dishes after dinner. Phil and Mr. Harrison sit at the table with her and Barb sits on the couch. Mr. Harrison didn't eat anything. He says he has no appetite because he feels like he should be out there doing something. He's just moving into the sorority at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I'll take Claire's My room. room is <laughs> Mrs. Mack tells him that all he can do is stay here and Claire will either call or come home soon. Barb, who appears to be looking at a centerfold, drunkenly pipes in with the fun fact. She stumbles over to the table as she tells Mr. Harrison that there's a certain species of turtle that can screw for three days without stopping. That's excessive. <laughs> <laughs> she's a fucking mess. She, oh, yeah. She's a mess. Mrs. Mack gently tries to get her to stop talking, but Barb continues on, lamenting that she's lucky if she can get three minutes. Is this her tight five? <laughs> yeah. What? She's right. like, I got right crowd here. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody's down for it. Oh, no. But Phil kind of stifles a laugh as Mr. Harrison looks on, of course, in distaste. Mm -hmm. Barb continues that she knows all of this because she went down to the zoo and watched him. She didn't stay for the whole three days, though. <laughs> she went to see the zebras because they only take 30 seconds. She stumbles back to the couch and collapses on it laughing. But suddenly, in complete seriousness, she tells him that she knows they all think it's her fault for driving Claire away. It got real serious real fast. Yeah. yeah. And that if Claire is dead, they're all going to blame her. She says, everybody's thinking it, so just come out and say it. Nobody said that. Nobody no. said Nobody that. Nobody said anything. But I feel like she feels guilty. I don't think she would have gone down to the police station. I don't think she'd be entertaining Mr. Harrison. I feel like she feels guilty. I think I, I do agree with that, but it is not Barb's fault in the slightest. No. It's not, no. Claire went all heavens to Betsy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then went upstairs and unfortunately got murdered. That's not barb's fault no. no and honestly she was gonna go upstairs to pack anyway yeah so she would have gone up yeah. there eventually oh yeah but that's i mean true. if like this is a situation where she's been giving her a hard time or she's been you know 
I guess. I can see why yeah. she would feel guilty. Of course, it's not her fault, but I can see her feeling yeah, badly. Right. I am anti-censorship, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> Say whatever the fuck you exactly. want. Exactly. Mrs. Mack tells Barb that she's had too much to drink and Phil suggests that she go upstairs and lie down for a while. But she snaps at both of them angrily and she says everyone's been implying it all afternoon that this is her fault. But like John Paul says, nobody no. said a word. Nobody no. had. She didn't see people talking and then she walks in yeah. the room and they stop. Yeah. That would be different. Yes. But nobody did. They're all taking her with them, looking for her, mm-hmm. trying to do something. She's drunk and she feels guilty. Well, yeah. Yeah. Phil has finally had enough at this point and tells her, Barb, you're drunk. Go to bed. Barb finally listens and leaves the room. (laughs) Sometimes you need to hear it bluntly. (laughs) The direct approach. Yeah. Back at the music room, Peter pushes the top of the piano to the ground and it clatters. He picks up a stand and smashes the piano. I'd say the end of the performance is a little avant-garde, but... (laughs) (laughs) He's like, wait till you hear this part. (laughs) I like to think that those men are still seated there. (laughs) Like, is he almost done? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Never seen anything in like this before. Right, you just got accepted. Exactly. Right? You're back. Yeah, you lost this at the start. Yeah, but, uh, you brought it back. Yeah. Interestingly, though, this sound when he hits the piano mm-hmm. is used in tense moments throughout the rest of the film. Oh, ah. that's what that sound. Yeah, is. dude. I was like, that's pretty fucking brilliant. It's a pretty great sound too for the yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, it's great. Back at the sorority house, Chris and Jess come in and ask to see Mr. Harrison. They rush into the dining room and everything we see is through the window. So we don't hear any dialogue, which I thought was interesting. So do you think that's Billy? I don't know, because it doesn't look no like shaky Billy cam. But <laughs> no, I mean, maybe it just plays into like this voyeuristic situation that we have right, going right. on. But Fair. We see Chris shake Mr. Harrison's hand and then they talk for a moment. Suddenly, everyone gets up and rushes out of the room. They all leave the house, Jess, Mr. Harrison, Chris, and Phil. But Mrs. Max stops Phil just before she leaves to tell her that she's sure Claire is fine and that she's going to her sister's house for Christmas so she might not be here when they get back. It's a kind of convenient out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if I'm just gone, don't, don't worry. Don't for me, yeah. <laughs> Phil just asks that Mrs. Mack check on Barb before she leaves. In the next scene, we're at a park and Lieutenant Fuller is speaking to a large group of people through a megaphone. The woman that was filing the report earlier from the station is there. And Lieutenant Fuller explains that the woman's daughter, Janice, came through this park on her way home from school. He gives the group instructions on how to spread out and comb the park to look for Janice. And they all spread out and start to look. Now, I'm assuming that Chris and Jess... Went to tell Mr. Harrison that they're sweeping the park and maybe they'll find Claire. I guess so, because they are there. Because yeah. they're there to participate. Now, That's I will, what I thought. I will yeah. say Chris is rubbing Jess's shoulders a little too I, personal. Yeah. I was waiting on one of you guys to say that, but I feel I like... Mean, no, you're right. He's like a, yeah. a protector dude is how I took it. He's like, I know you guys are upset. Him, Jess came to him to involve him in it. I feel like he's being big brother protective. Well, it's a little too familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Claire would appreciate this. That's a big ass fur coat he's wearing. (laughs) I was like, is he the pimp? Like like, sidebar. That's how the police know him because. Like, oh shit, it's the guy with the fur coat. We must listen. (laughs) Back at the sorority house, we see the silhouette of a figure sit down across the street and face the house. Inside, Mrs. Max sings and drinks as she packs her bag. 
In the attic, Claude, the cat, licks at the dry cleaning bag that is still wrapped around Claire's head. And I read that they had to put catnip on the bag for the cat to do this because the cat refused to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Cat was probably scared. What is that? (laughs) Through the view of the window, we see a taxi and hear its horn honking. Mrs. Mack, annoyed at the honking, gets ready to go, but hears Claude meow. Now, at this point in the film, I'm like... Did Claude and Billy team up? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's like luring, but it sounds Claude's like making sounds of anguish. So I thought he was just really upset about Claire. Like he realizes she's like, wait a minute, no, no, not Claire. <laughs> but Mrs. Matt goes looking for him, calling after him. But the house is dark. The lights are off. She looks down the stairs and the camera shows the attic and then pans over to Mrs. Mack, slowly making her way down the stairs and still calling after Claude. I guess she realizes that the meows are coming from the attic yeah, and starts making her way up the ladder. Did she just really want to say goodbye to this cat? Well, yeah, I when know. Claire, when Claire sees him earlier, she's like, Mrs. Mack's been looking for you or something to that oh, effect. So, so I guess like, okay, okay. Her cat. there's this big ass house right. and Claude is just, where the fuck is Claude? Basically. <laughs> Mrs. Mack opens the attic door and looks in and we see a man's hands holding back a hook on a rope. She peers around calling after and then threatening to have Claude fixed. Like he he's like, all right, all right, I'll come out. <laughs> God damn, I don't want that. <laughs> we see the annoyance in her face disappear and her squinting eyes widen in fear. The camera zooms way in on Claire. Again, the bag still over her face, still sitting in the rocking chair by the window. Then Mrs. Mack, unfortunately, turns to see the man in the corner. At this point, she should have just dropped down, like slid down the side of the ladder or just (laughs) fell. I mean, you'll shatter both your kneecaps, but I think it's worth it. And, you know, there's a guy outside. Just get to outside and you're not alone. Scream, crawl, whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do. That's a pulley system. Yeah. Why is that up there? (laughs) There's a lot of shit in that attic. There's a fucking... Horsey from a yeah, yeah, like a carousel. Thank you. Um, horsey. A horsey? <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew what you were talking Thank about. Thank you. Yeah, carousel. <laughs> Thank you. This is Pictionary. Um, <laughs> no taboo. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, Billy rigged that up for just such an occasion. Well, when? <laughs> How is he slipping in and out of this house like a demon's whisper? Yeah. It's like what the hell? <laughs> just the trellis. The trellis. No, if you. Ha- the trellis. If you have a trellis in your house, tear it down tonight. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's it. Take it down. That's it. The man's hands let go of the hook and the camera cuts away just before it hits Mrs. Mack. We see her body still on the ladder being immediately pulled up into the attic. Just as Mrs. Mack screams, the taxi driver starts yelling, hey, at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been honking for like. Yeah, yeah, he has. But it blocks out her cry. And then Mrs. Mack immediately goes silent. The taxi driver, receiving no answer, leaves, annoyed. We watch from the window as he gets back into the cab and drives off. From the point of view of Billy, he turns and rocks Claire in her chair violently, then just begins wrecking the attic, screaming the entire time. It's like he's literally like throwing a fit like a child. So he's just lucky he's home alone, technically. I mean, (laughs) there's there's a lot of people up there, but he's home alone because anybody could hear that. You're not you're not being sneaky. You're, no, he's screaming. You're wrecking at the top shop of his at full volume. Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a thing too. It's like he's making a lot of noise. Yeah, he's rattling bird cages. Yeah. 
I feel like that makes it scarier because it's like it's not even calculating. He's just like fucking yeah, erratic. I, He's you know the other thing I was possibly thinking I'm maybe building in too much of a backstory. Maybe he doesn't want to do this. Maybe he's done it and he's like feeling all this anguish at having done it. You can hear it kind of in some of the phone calls. I was going to say, I feel like it's like a compulsion. Those phone calls support what you're saying. Well, I feel you. like I feel like that's valid. All right. Oh, yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> I'm correct. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but why does he got a talking redneck? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't understand his. Yeah, it's just weird. Nobody's telling you to do that. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm going to make it my own. <laughs> Right when they just laugh, away. Just they won't be angry. That's <laughs> why. Laugh. Yeah, yeah. It's like if I can make him laugh, and they're like, <gasps> "That's why he like, started no. in on the penis jokes." And yeah, stuff. there you go. Because he's like, "Well, maybe it's not all bad." <laughs> Back at the park, Jess, Phil, Chris, and Mr. Harrison stand warming themselves over a fire. Jess leaves, saying that Peter's coming to the house and she needs to get there. At the sorority house, we pan up the side to see Claire still sitting by the window, illuminated by a candle. Behind her, Mrs. Max swings slowly, still suspended by the hook. And to elaborate on her death, I appreciated the camera cutting away right before the hook got her. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you said about seeing the feather versus seeing the chicken. Right. It was still very effective without us seeing her, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A splatter. (laughs) Why did we do sound effects? I don't know. And we did the exact same sound effect. Anyway, back at the park, a woman screams in horror. Mr. Harrison runs over to the girl and we can see by his expression that they're not looking at Claire. Right. Janice's mother runs over, though, and immediately begins to scream. We see but do not hear the scream. Instead, we hear the ringing of the phone. And I love this. Mm hmm. Well, she did go a little Mystic River at first, though. And she was like, is that my daughter in there? (laughs) But then but then that which is a great moment. Which I do appreciate. (laughs) I just don't like as a parent, why wouldn't he have stopped her and been like, you don't need to see this. He's like, not my daughter. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot uh, of shoddy police work in this town. No, no, the cops weren't there. Mr. Harrison's just looking at the dead girl. He's standing right there. And then she runs over and he's like, well, better you than me. Yeah, he's just like. Oh, shit. Yeah, Yeah, he was. He's like, like, there's your kid. That's not Claire, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I almost thought that was my kid. (laughs) Sucks for whoever. Oh, hey, lady. (laughs) Why are you screaming? (laughs) Back at the sorority house, as Jess is walking through the front door, the phone is ringing. She answers it, and it is incomprehensible screaming and crying. Finally, a man sobs asking for help, which I think lends credence to what you just said. You remember on Zodiac, whenever the phone call was placed to Melvin Belli, and he was asking for help, and he was saying, you know, all that stuff? If I'm not mistaken, that happened before this movie came out. So maybe there was some influence there? Mm. I mean, it, that that happened in real life before the movie came out. Right. Yeah. Fincher's Zodiac was like 2007. But <laughs> No, it was before this. Oh, but <laughs> it went back in time. But you know what I mean? Where somebody is killing people and making calls saying they want help. They don't right, want to right. do this. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Jess asks what the man wants and he screams and yells, filthy Billy, then devolves into gibberish. He says, I know what you did, Billy, then laughs. Jess slams the phone down and calls for Mrs. Mack. Upstairs, we see a shadow moving around. Now, I understand the most pertinent thing at the time was Claire is missing. Yeah. Why wouldn't you bring up these phone calls the first time you went to the police station? I would have. Well, no, yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I feel like... The night Claire 
the last time they saw Claire, they got a phone call that said, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Barb didn't really care about it, but Jess also went to the police station and yeah. so did yeah. Phil. So yeah. yeah, that's a valid, mm-hmm. valid question. But to that point, Jess picks the phone back up and calls the police station. But behind her, we see a shadow slowly coming down the stairs. Once her call is finally connected, Jess is inquiring what she can do about obscene phone calls that she's been receiving. She's promptly placed on hold as the shadow moves closer. Mm -hmm. She turns just as it approaches and we see that it's Peter. She tells him that he scared her and he turns it around on her saying she scared him too. He got cold waiting for her. So he went upstairs to take a nap. How did he get inside? Did he also use the trellis? (laughs) Okay, let's say that he literally has a key. Who fucking does that? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to catch some Z's. I'm here for us to have this horribly intense conversation. Well, he wanted to be up for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me get in a quick cat now. (laughs) I'm like, okay, suspicious. Very much. First of all. They're setting up something here, clearly. Yes, yes. So Jess says that she's late because Claire is missing and she was out with the search party. Peter goes, oh, how noble. It's like, like, damn, dude. (laughs) This compared with the smashing of the piano, Jess, you shouldn't be having a baby with him. No, you can (laughs) do better. She asked how the recital went and he tells her, how do you think it went? (laughs) Now, that's that's the only point that he is allowed to make. What, that she ruined him? Yeah. I mean, she could have waited. Yeah. <laughs> could have waited a little yeah. bit. They could have had the first conversation right now. Yeah. Oh, or like yeah. I said, not told him at all. But yeah, that too. Jess is still on the phone and she's placed on hold again and tells Peter to stop attacking her and have an adult conversation. Someone answers the phone and she demands that they stay on the line. We cut to the police station and we see that it's Nash that she's talking to. Which yeah. <laughs> could this it fucker. please have been anybody <laughs> yeah. else? Yeah. <laughs> He asks the address of the house, and when she repeats it, we see that Mr. Harrison in the background takes notice and comes over, followed by Phil and Chris. Hey, you think the ridiculous deputy from House of a Thousand Corpses was named Nash after this Nash? (gasps) Well, he stole everything else, so why would... (laughs) (laughs) Why not that as well? 74 was a big year (laughs) for Rob Zombie. Nash says that a child has been murdered in the park, so they're too busy for this, and it's probably just one of her boyfriends anyway. Fuck, Fuck you, yeah. dude. Yeah, just that's, asshole. that's oh shitty. Oh, my God. So do you think Billy had anything to do with that, with Janice? I do. That's okay. part of my theory. That's, I absolutely okay. do. Because hmm. um, I'm like... Yeah. I do, and we'll I'll talk more about right, that later. Right. Okay. And again, never put it all together in my own mind until I watched it this time. I'm because intrigued. That was just some shit that happened. <laughs> just a side plot. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Not Claire. Move on. <laughs> you were Mr. Harrison. I was Mr. Harrison. <laughs> oh, shit. That was that. <laughs> but Nash hangs up and walks away, leaving Mr. Harrison, Phil, and Chris to look at each other. Back at the sorority house, Jess tells Peter that the search party found a little girl murdered in the park and that Claire's still missing. She's clearly disturbed, but Peter says, Claire's fine. I got something to tell you. <laughs> He's leaving the conservatory and they're getting married. Wow. How, what a romantic proposal. And it would have been nice to ask her opinion on it first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you, and we're getting married? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, he says also, he's like, I'm tired of sharing a house with all these people and then waiting in line to take a bath. Yeah. You should not be taking baths in a shared house. <laughs> How inconsiderate. <laughs> Could you imagine waiting to take a shower for like an hour just because some asshole's got a towel on his eyes in the fucking bath? <laughs> <laughs> I swear with to God, bubbles. I would kick the door down. <laughs> 
That's funny. <laughs> eating cheese and crackers. Yeah. Just glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds excellent, though. Not in a shared house. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> Jess tells Peter to think back to when they met. He wanted to be a concert pianist, and that was his greatest dream. But she also told him about dreams that she had, and those haven't changed. He can't just expect her to give up everything she's worked for just because his plans have changed. And I I love this conversation. My only nitpick is I wish we could have elaborated on what Jess's dreams were. I understand that. Because she's like, you wanted to be a concert pianist. I also wanted to do some things. <laughs> I, I get that, but I feel like it would be a little clunky if she's like you wanted to be a concert pianist and you know i've always wanted to be an actress like that would be a little clunky well, or whatever yeah say, no yeah you know i mean i guess but like i i still want to be an actress i still want to do that like i feel right. like i don't well, feel like that's clunky well if he knows then she doesn't need to say that also well he true. doesn't also need to know that he wanted to be a concert pianist he knows that too well well but, but she's but, telling him what he said when they first met whatever <laughs> i do agree with her on this but i'm I don't know. I'm still kind of torn with the whole baby thing as well. <laughs> I think it's very interesting for this nuanced of a conversation to be had from the perspective of a woman written by two dudes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, I got to give him props for that. Right. That's true. But bottom line, she says she can't marry him. And Peter says that she can. She can marry him and still do all those other things that she wants to do. She says it simply, I don't want to marry you. And there it is. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, all right, but what about the baby? He's had a rough day. Yeah. <laughs> really very shitty bad day, day, dude. Back at, the, back at the police station, obviously against Nash's wishes, Mr. Harrison sits in Lieutenant Fuller's office. Lieutenant Fuller tells Nash that a high school girl has been murdered, Claire Harrison is missing, and the sorority she belongs to is getting obscene phone calls. Don't you think that's worth looking into? Um, Perhaps. Yeah. Nash, Mr. Harrison, Phil, and Chris leave the office. Another detective erupts with laughter, and Lieutenant Fuller chuckles to himself before getting up and calling Nash back into the office. <laughs> Fuller is basically like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nash tells him, fellatio, it's a new exchange. The detective continues to cackle as Lieutenant Fuller tells Nash he doesn't think he could pick his nose without instructions. <laughs> Nash goes, oh, I know. It's something dirty, ain't it? And this receives a fresh burst of laughter from the other detective. It's a payoff. Yeah. Again, yeah. well-placed humor that hits the mark. Yeah, it does. I That was one thing that I did uh, that I will give this movie is like you said, hmm. the humor's there and it doesn't fall flat or no. it's not like no. they didn't need to do that. It was like, that's funny. <laughs> like, that's good shit. It's something dirty, ain't yeah. it? Yeah. It's hilarious. Just storms out. Right. The next thing we see is an ornament crashing and breaking next to a Christmas tree at the sorority house. The camera pans over and we see that Peter is the one who broke it. He calls Jess a selfish bitch. She's talking about having an abortion like she's talking about having a wart removed. He turns on her and looms over her, telling her that she is not going to have an abortion. He says, if you try to get an abortion and she interrupts him, telling him to leave. He finally finishes. You're going to be very sorry before leaving the house. On his way out, he goes past Lieutenant Fuller and Phil, and he slams the door, <laughs> and Lieutenant Fuller looks over like, yeah, yeah. he's like, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> right, if you didn't look bad before, right. you do now really bad. There right in front of the my, yeah, yeah. prime suspect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but Lieutenant Fuller has brought someone to tap the phone. Bill Graham, played by Leslie Carlson. 
He has also come to see Claire's room, and tense music swells as the girls take Lieutenant Fuller upstairs. The music is ominous, and I love it a lot. Very. And Claire's room just tells Lieutenant Fuller that she was the last one to see Claire that night at around 1030. Which, is that true? She um, didn't answer the door when Jess went up there. They all saw they her. They all were the last people to... I think Jess just wants to feel important. It was yeah. me. Because <laughs> they all saw her. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that until right now. <laughs> Lieutenant Fuller sees a glass on Claire's dresser, and Jess and Phil explain that they were having a party and that Claire hardly drank at all. He asks if she had any emotional problems. They say no. He asks if she was seeing anyone besides Chris. They say no. He says, so you were the last one to see her this morning? It's like trying to be slick. Uh And Jess is like, no, last night. It's like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) I almost had her. Yeah. No one saw her this morning and most of the other girls are gone for the holidays. He asked for their contact information and they head to Mrs. Mack's room to get it. Graham is working on the phone when they come back downstairs. Lieutenant Fuller asks if anyone else is here and they tell her Barb is, but she's in bed because she's not feeling well. Fuller asks if she's the one that was at the station today, and they say yes, and they all laugh. Lieutenant Fuller's like, let her sleep. <laughs> I love that he just laughs it off instead yeah. of being like, well... No, get her up. Like, trumped yeah. up charges, like he fucking arrests her or something. Very good. Yeah, no, it's funny. Graham tells them that when a call comes in, he'll be able to trace it at the phone company, but they're going to need to keep the caller on the phone as long as possible. Lieutenant Fuller shows them that they have a cop in a car parked outside, so they have nothing to be worried about. Phil's like, yeah, sure. (laughs) So she would just have to sit there and wait then, huh? And wait for somebody to call because they're tapping the phone? Yeah, basically. Just keep them on. Just sit there. It's like, Like, And then what happens? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, who's this Billy you keep talking about? Now, in Agnes, I'd like (laughs) more background on this Agnes. (laughs) Outside, Lieutenant Fuller and Graham get in the car and drive away. But the camera zooms in across the street to see fucking Peter standing in the darkness watching them drive off. Why is he skulking out there still? (laughs) He has no business here anymore. Just looks worse. Yeah, very suspicious. Seriously. Inside, Jess hugs Phil as Phil just breaks down, bursting into tears. She says that she can just feel that Claire is dead. She regains her composure and apologizes. She's just exhausted. Now, I want to shout out Phil for a second for just being a real one. She's, oh, yeah. Phil's the shit, and I feel like she doesn't get any recognition for no, it. No, well, because Barb is so loud. Yeah, and Jess, Jess is the main the character. Main, yeah. So, good job, Phil. Team, team Phil, yeah. <laughs> but Phil says that she's been taking pills for her cold, and they just knock her out. She asks Jess if she'll be okay if she goes upstairs and goes to bed. Jess says she'll be fine, and for Phil to just go get some rest. She watches Phil go upstairs and then looks over at the phone. At the phone company, Graham talks to that giggling detective from earlier, telling him that it is imperative that the caller is kept on the phone for as long as possible. When the phone rings at the sorority house, they have one that will also ring at the police station. A lot of this movie is like a police procedural. And I forget, you (laughs) know, every time we watch it. Back at the sorority house in the attic, Claire rocks in the chair and is now cradling a baby doll. The voice sings to her again, but then breaks down and sobs. That was all for Billy, the doll. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was. (laughs) Downstairs, Jess sits alone, jumpy as she hears a door creak open upstairs. Upstairs, through the point of view of Billy, we see him slowly climbing down the attic's ladder. We then see his silhouette as a door opens. We then see that we're standing over Barb, who is asleep in her bed. Downstairs, Jess jumps up as we hear Barb gasp loudly for air. 
Jess runs into Barb's room to find her on her bed, gesturing and frantically gasping for air. Jess reaches over to Barb's <laughs> nightstand and gives her an inhaler, and Barb uses it, and I use the term uses it loosely, <laughs> to catch her breath. Please teach your actors to use inhalers, because this is a repeat offense that happens yeah, in a lot of that movies. Was- it was real bad. <laughs> yeah, Margot Kidder. This it was upside ma- down. <laughs> was yeah, was, upside down. This may be the worst I've punch? ever seen. She just, she just put it on her mouth. It's like you just put it on your mouth, right? No. <laughs> Y'all don't have one asthmatic on set. Yeah, <laughs> that should be a much. new requirement. <laughs> we got the grip. We got the asthmatic. All right, it's and too- action. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. So bad, but. Through the magic of this inhaler, Barb regains her breath, saying that she had a nightmare of a stranger coming into her room. Through the killer's point of view, we exit the room. So I guess he was just standing by the door. I guess, dude. Nobody is observant in this house at all. Nobody turns around or (laughs) nothing. But we exit the room and go down the hall. Back in Barb's room, Jess leaves her friend, who is already falling back asleep. Carolers begin to sing outside, and Jess rushes to the front porch to watch them smiling. Now, these kids are out here late as fuck. They are. Because she was supposed to meet Peter at nine and she was late. All that happened. The guy came and fucking put a bug on the phone. <laughs> it's like 10, 30, 11 yeah, o'clock I didn't at night. Even think about that. Their parents are like, where are these kids? <laughs> <laughs> and sidebar, each one of these kids has dead eyes. <laughs> I, if I were Jess, I'd be like, go away. They're exhausted. Dude. Yeah, they're like, we've been caroling for 12 yeah, hours. They won't let us stop. <laughs> They're ghosts. That's what it is. Plot twist. Mm -hmm. But as Jess watches them, (laughs) the dead-eyed children, (laughs) we're in the point of view of Billy again, breathing heavily and walking back down the hall to Barb's room. He's like, I I wasn't done. Mm -mm. He picks his spots very well. Yeah, He does. (laughs) He does. He opens the door, casting light on Barb's face and heads over to her glass figurine collection. He stands over her and whispers, Agnes, it's me, Billy. It's all right, Agnes. It's all right. Yeah. (laughs) Chilling. I thought her name was Barb. Well, (laughs) he didn't get the memo. How embarrassing for you. As he speaks, we're looking closely at a unicorn figurine and then finally see his hand wrap around it. We cut to the... I I keep laughing at the fucking dead eye. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. Go watch that scene again. I can't. (laughs) But we cut back to the kids singing quickly before going back to the killer. We see him standing over Barb, holding the unicorn over his head, its horn poking out of his fist like a knife. A beam of light illuminates one eye. It's an incredible shot. I don't know why it's so effective, why it's so scary. I I don't know. I think it's because we're still, no pun intended, outside of the eye, left in the dark. Yeah. Who is Billy? Yeah. Barb wakes up and only has a split second to register fear as Billy brings the unicorn down, stabbing her again and again. The scene is spliced in with more cuts of those kids singing and the juxtaposition is like, yeah, it's Black Christmas. It's Mm -hmm. Black Christmas. (laughs) The crazy thing, I don't know if you saw in the background, there's like a skull with ribbon in its mouth, which again is like this juxtaposition of the horror in the holiday. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, That's I didn't see that. Scary Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but finally, we see Barb's hand knock over her figurines, breaking them. And I, I think it's a beautiful shot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This whole section is just yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's great. 
Downstairs, Jess happily applauds the kids and suddenly a woman rushes up and with no further explanation tells the lady that has the kids to get all of them in the car right now. She realized what time it was. Jess rushes to tip them before they leave and then the woman explains that a little girl was murdered in the park tonight and Jess is like, mm-hmm, I know. <laughs> Let the lady before- have her moment of telling her. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit, word? Yeah. Before the conversation can continue, the lady tells Jess that her phone is ringing. We get a quick shot of Lieutenant Fuller looking at the phone on his desk. We also see Graham being notified of the phone ringing at the phone company. A lot of moving parts. Jess runs inside and picks up the phone. Immediately, the voice on the other end is just sobbing. The voice alternates between screaming in a voice that is either a woman or a child meant to be. Again, how is he doing this? I don't know. And a male's voice arguing and yelling at the other voice. The childish whining continues before he screeches, just like having a wart removed. Oh, shit. <laughs> it just got real personal yeah. real quick. And Jess goes, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And then he hangs up. The phone rings again and Lieutenant Fuller tells her that they were unable to locate him because she didn't keep him on the line long enough. But like he hung up. It's not her fault. So I don't know why it's her fault. But he says, did you say, oh, my God? (laughs) 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 Because you recognize something, he said. And Jess says, no, the call was just getting to her. Lieutenant Fuller asks if he used more than one voice like this when he called before. And Jess tells him that he uses several voices. And we see that Billy is watching her from the stairs. Yeah. Lieutenant Fuller, and you can tell it's been weighing on him, Mm -hmm. finally asks, who was that man that was leaving (laughs) when I was there earlier? (laughs) Jess tells him that it was her boyfriend. And Lieutenant Fuller immediately asks if they were having a fight. Before she can answer, someone loud and combative is brought into the next room at the police station. Lieutenant Fuller tells her he'll call her back and that they'll get him next time before hanging up the phone. Lieutenant Fuller goes into the next room and we see that an angry and unapologetic old man has shot a police officer for, quote, trespassing on his land. He even threatens that next time he'll stick the gun up his ass sideways before just leaving. (laughs) And like, well, we got nothing on him. (laughs) Well, he shot it. What is happening here? I don't know. (laughs) What the fuck? This scene flat out made no sense to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I can't defend it. Back at the sorority house, we're watching through a crack in the door as Jess and Phil walk by. Phil tells her that if she thinks it's Peter, she needs to tell the police. She says that she hasn't even gone to sleep because there was so much noise. Jess tells her that it was Barb having an asthma attack, but she's fine and she's sleeping now. As they go downstairs, Jess tells Phil that the caller repeated exactly what Peter had said to her. Phil says she doesn't like Peter, but she doesn't think he's sick enough to do something like this. Jess tells her that she's really scared and Phil looks out the window to confirm that the officer is still outside sitting in his car. But the phone rings again and Jess cautiously picks it up. We see Lieutenant Fuller pick up his line as well, but it's Peter this time sobbing and asking for help. Graham calls Lieutenant Fuller to ask if they should trace this call and Lieutenant Fuller is like, yes. (laughs) Like, I like this guy for this. Yeah. (laughs) On the phone, Peter continues to sob, saying that they can't kill the baby. Graham is rushing to trace the call. Now, it's like aisles and aisles of I don't e- I don't even know. No. <laughs> what well, he's doing to trace the call. I think call. they had less equipment at the launch in like the 60s <laughs> at fucking NASA. <laughs> 
it's unbelievable. I was watching this. I'm like, is this what it took? Yeah, no, to I can trace see, a call I can in the see 70s. Why you have to take them? Or you have to keep them on the phone longer for like yeah. an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I I can't remember, but I have seen a movie where they did this as well. Really, they were That's tracing a call crazy. and they were having all the switchboards and the plugs, and they were just keep them on the line. Hold on, and I was like, what the fuck? No, are they he's doing? like running I, yeah. down hallways. It's like don't get the impression that he's at a desk. Like, oh no. This dude is fucking running across the room. Remember the server rooms on Mr. Robot? That's like what I was like, holy shit. Basically, it's it's crazy. But he's running around trying to trace the call as Peter continues to cry and plead. Jess asks where he is and he hangs up. Suspicious. Oh, yeah. Lieutenant Fuller asks Jess what that call was all about, saying it's important that he knows. As Phil listens, Jess explains that she's pregnant and she told Peter that she doesn't want to have the baby. But as they're talking on the phone, we see a shadow moving behind Phil. Yeah, like he's just roaming through the house now. Like (laughs) he's making himself at home. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't notice this the first time. And I noticed it this time. And I was like, holy shit, there's somebody back there. (laughs) He's like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. But Lieutenant Fuller tells Jess that he feels like she's holding something back and he's pretty sure that it's Peter. He asks if Peter was there when any of the calls came in and Jess realizes he was. He was in the house when the call earlier came through. Lieutenant Fuller tells her again that she needs to keep him on the line longer because they can't trace it that quickly. But again, that wasn't her fault. No, no. it's not like she's like, oh, that's too scary. And she <laughs> yeah. hangs up. Click. No. Well, isn't she like I get, I'll I'll try harder. It's just hard. It's like no, you you're not you doing yeah. you're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> but when Jess hangs up the phone, she's comforted by the fact that it just can't be Peter. At the police station, Lieutenant Fuller orders a house-to-house search for the killer. He sits down at his desk and looks just stressed out. <laughs> it's been a rough couple days, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Day. No shit. Bad day. Back at the sorority house, Phil is in the kitchen getting aspirin for Jess. And as soon as she turns away, a man's face pops into the window. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we see Jess looking out the window in the living room as Phil calls out for her afraid. The man is still in the window when Jess gets to the kitchen and he's now joined by another man. Jess assumes they're part of a search party and goes to open the door when they confirm that they are. What are you doing looking through windows? Yeah, maybe, maybe they're in there. He's like, is the killer in there? <laughs> yeah, they that was were the quickest yeah. search party as well because they just called for it, right? You're yeah, right. they were ready to go. <laughs> yeah, but the men explain that they're looking for the killer. Phil tells them that she'd invite them in, but their dog died last night, and she and Jess just start laughing. Yeah, I don't quite. Yeah, I didn't. was Claire their dog? <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> our dog died. Oh, yeah. Night. They try to shut the door, but the man keeps interrupting before they can, telling them to lock the doors and windows. Don't be afraid if other people from the search party come around. Again, lock your doors and windows. (laughs) When they finally get the door closed, they laugh, and Phil says she'd rather face the killer than them. But on a serious note, Jess asks Phil if she realizes that this is actually the only door and window in the whole house that's locked. The tone shifts way too quickly. She's like, yeah. nah, but seriously. Yeah. <laughs> she laughs and then, yeah. Nah, but for real, though. This is the re- only, yeah. We're we are begging dead. To be killed. <laughs> At the police station, Fuller tells Nash to call the dean of admissions and tell him that he wants all of Peter's information. He also tells them to have a car waiting for him out front. At the sorority house, we see Phil locking a window as Barb's door slams. 
She goes to investigate and the camera zooms in on the attic door behind where she was standing. Did you notice like lights coming from? Yes. Yeah. Well, when we saw Claire earlier, it looked like a candle was flickering. Yeah. So this dude's just fucking living his life up there. <laughs> he's like, that's it's, his room He's now. like, it's dark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Phil knocks on Barb's door before letting herself in, asking if she's awake. And then the door slams shut behind her. At the music room, Lieutenant Fuller walks in and it's dark. He turns on the light to find that nobody is there, but he notices the smashed piano <laughs> and walks over to it. And like, Peter, not a good look. No. The other guys are going to be pissed. I don't think that's his personal piano. No, because yeah. it's an entire conservatory. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the bath situation? But, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, good Lord. At the sorority house, Jess locks the door and calls upstairs for Phil. In front of a propped up record for the Henry sisters, we see someone dialing a number. The phone rings and Jess answers. The voice immediately goes in, calling her a fat pig. There's screaming and chuckling and more screaming. Mm -hmm. Graham is dashing around the phone company again, trying to trace the call. <laughs> this call to me almost sounded like a soundboard because it was like, <laughs> where's the baby? Blah. Yeah. Blah. <laughs> like, it was the same blah. <laughs> He's tired, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at the house, the different voices are screaming and arguing. Where's the baby? You left Billy alone with baby Agnes. At the music room, Lieutenant Fuller is notified that the caller is on the phone again. And Graham finally traces the call. Ooh. Outside, Lieutenant Fuller rushes to a police car that is playing the call. The voice is sobbing, calling for his mother. And the female voice continues to yell, where is Agnes? Before breaking into wild laughter. He says, give mommy the baby. The baby's all right, mommy. Ooh. It's horrifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. At the phone company, Graham calls out the information to identify where the call is coming from. At the sorority house, Jess listens as Billy starts to sing on the phone, and then he abruptly hangs up. In the police car, Nash radios Lieutenant Fuller. He's talked to Graham at the phone company, who was able to successfully trace the call. The call is coming from number six, Belmont Street. Annoyed, Fuller tells him he got it wrong. That's where the calls are going to. But Nash doubles down. That's where the calls are coming from as well. Fuller's eyes widen and he says, oh, shit. Fuller radios the cop that is supposed to be sitting on the sorority house. We now see that that cop has been stabbed in the throat and is sitting in the cop car dead. Killed off screen. Killed off screen. Yes. Fuller radios Nash when he can't get through. He tells Nash to call Jess and to be calm. Don't tell her that the guy is in the house. Just tell her to put the phone down and walk outside and he'll be there in five minutes. And if Nash blows this, he's going to kill him. Well, they set you up to not have any faith in Nash. So, well, yeah. God damn. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, we have no faith in Nash. No. Um, number one, why was he not already driving? He's practicing road safety. Don't don't <laughs> talk on your distracted. phone and drive at the same well, time. But he wasn't driving. He had another guy with him. <laughs> well, then I don't have an answer. For that. <laughs> Click it or ticket. I don't know. <laughs> That's what they say, right? Yeah. At the sorority house, Jess gets worried when Phil still won't answer her. And like they split up to go lock the doors and windows. And then Phil just fucking disappeared. Yeah. So I'd be worried, too. Mm -hmm. The phone rings and she looks at it fearfully before answering it. When she does, Nash identifies himself and asks if she's the only one in the house. Jess says that Phil and Barb are upstairs asleep. Nash tells her to do what he says without asking any questions. He tells her to hang up the phone and walk out the front door. 
She still asks what's wrong, but he refuses to answer. Just do what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Like, please. She, <laughs> yeah. Please. She says she'll get Phil and Barb and then do what he says. He yells at her to not do that. And then he gives up immediately. Jess, the caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. So the calls are coming from inside the house, quote unquote, yeah. whatever, yeah. is so cliche now. Yeah. But in 1974, that is pant wedding. Oh, yeah. Horrifying. No, this is a super no, iconic yeah. moment. Yes. And game changing moment. Line for line. This is used in when a stranger it, calls. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's funny because I always heard this. Yeah. But I never knew where it came from. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, well, there it is. <laughs> I like still say this in terms of self-sabotage. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. The calls are coming from yeah. inside the house. That was me. That's fantastic. <laughs> and sad. <laughs> <laughs> the camera zooms in on Jess as she looks up the stairs, horrified. Nash screams at her to not go upstairs. After a quick shot of Nash, we see that Jess has dropped the phone. She goes to the door, but she doesn't leave. She stands there and screams at the top of her lungs for her friends to answer her. Then she eyes the fire poker next to the fireplace and picks it up before cautiously and quietly going up the stairs. So she's been fairly smart so far in this movie. I guess yeah. she earned a moment of being fucking stupid. I guess. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so this actually, is, yeah. this is the point of the movie that really bummed me out mm -hmm. because of like you said she's been very smart this whole time and i love my friends <laughs> but i'm not screaming for you or going back for you if uh if she's they're just like trying to protect her friend no 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 <laughs> one friend's already missing yes i have no idea why the other one isn't answering me and if somebody tells me there's someone in your house get out we all know what she should have done. I yeah. will light a candle for you every fucking Christmas. I'm out. It's, I'm sorry. It's not the same holiday without yeah, you girls. Right. No. But it is without you. Yeah. <laughs> because I survived. <laughs> she slowly walks to Barb's room, calling out for her friends again before trying to open the door. The door is locked, but she manages to break it down. She finds Barb and Phil posed in a bloody tableau on Barb's bed. It's a great shot. It's a horrible visual, of course, because right. two dead girls, but the shot is fantastic. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why. No, and it's it's scary. You're yeah. like, fuck. Yeah, because he didn't need to do that. No, he didn't need to do that. All. And you know that that's her worst fear going into that room. That's oh, yeah. the worst possible thing she could have seen. Suddenly, she hears a whisper. Agnes, don't tell what we did, Agnes. She looks up to see Billy's eye, wide, looking at her from the crack of the door. I just want us to stay here for a moment. Hmm. Um, that shit is scary. <laughs> like, Did his eye look to, weird? Yeah. Or he had something in it. Yeah. Right? I don't know what that I was in his pupil. I was like, oh my God, that's what's, horrifying. Yeah. What's so scary to me is it's not like this <laughs> no, like yeah. evil mm -hmm. person glaring from behind the door. Mm -hmm. Billy looks as scared as Jess is. Very fair. He looks all right, scared all right. and wild and like he doesn't know what's going on. He is hiding in a closet like a child. He is. Yeah. Oh, it, it's <laughs> such an excellent moment. Yeah. And also they say that they don't even remember whose eye that was on set. <laughs> what the There's hell? a real serial killer wandered. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but Jess slams the door against him and runs. And Billy does not take this well and starts screaming fucking (laughs) wildly. He runs downstairs as Jess is unable to open the front door. I don't know why she can't, but she can't. Yeah, I didn't get that either. She tries to run away, but he grabs her by her hair. And I feel like this is a moment that we've all seen a million times in a million movies. Mm -hmm. For some reason, when he grabs her hair in this movie, I'm like, fuck. You know what it was? It was her scream. I think you're right. Her scream was... I think you're right. Because it gets me every time. Yeah. Jess manages to run down to the basement and lock herself in. Billy continues to scream and slam against the door, but he finally stops and we hear footsteps receding and then a door closing. Panting and afraid, Jess goes further down the stairs and into the basement. Isn't that worse? I'd rather hear him screaming at the door. So you know where he is. right? But now it's like, well, fuck. I want to know exactly where you are. (laughs) Yeah. We get a shot of cop cars racing to the sorority house with the sirens blaring. Back in the basement, Jess creeps around, afraid as she hears muttering outside. When she sees legs appear outside the basement window, she hides. The shadow presses against the window, looking inside before moving to the next window and doing the same. Love the shots of that silhouette. Yeah. So cool. But when the shadow finally calls out to her, we see that it's Peter. Why the (laughs) fuck are you doing this? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) That's... That's so funny, though. I'm not going to lie. I was like, why does he look like an alien from Signs? He's He's just like, yeah. Yeah, he really does. When she doesn't answer him, he kicks in the window and just drops into the basement, like, as one does, I guess. Dude, again, you're not doing yourself any favors. I feel like Peter just has no home training. Like, I'm going to go upstairs and sleep in your bed. Mm -hmm. I'm going to kick in your basement window. Is he Goldilocks? I don't (laughs) know. <laughs> no regard. I'm eat your porridge. <laughs> Peter is out of pocket. <laughs> Jess continues to hide as he calls out to her. He finally spots her, and he's like, "Why didn't you answer me?" <laughs> he's really calm. He, he is. Yeah, wasn't he, is. he just freaking out earlier? Yes, he was. Yeah. About something? crying on the phone. Yeah, yeah. he was. <laughs> he asked what all the yelling was about and what she's doing down here. Outside, the cop cars pull up next to the dead officer in his car, and we hear Jess scream from inside the house. The officers break down the door to the basement and find Peter dead in Jess's lap, and Jess is passed out? I guess, you know, killing the wrong person really takes it (laughs) out of you. I was a little confused, too. What happened? Because for a second, they both look dead. I think you were supposed to to think that. Oh, okay. But when they call her name, she wakes up. Word? What's up? Yeah. Just a light sleeper. (laughs) Oh, hey, guys. She's like, I got this nap idea from... (laughs) (laughs) Later, Jess lies in bed, sedated, as Lieutenant Fuller tells the other officers that he just knew it was Peter. They say she'll be out for at least four hours, so she won't be able to answer any questions until then. Her parents are on her way and they'll be here in the next couple hours, but a doctor promises to stay with her until then. As the camera zooms out, we see that Chris and Mr. Harrison are sitting with them. Chris asks if anyone has notified Phil's boyfriend, and when he finds out that no one has, he says that he will. We hear a clamor of reporters outside and Fuller says, get them out of (laughs) here. We zoom in on Jess sleeping as we hear the reporters asking questions and then the cops telling them to leave. When we pan back out, we see that Mr. Harrison, standing only a moment ago, has fainted and is being lowered back into his chair. I was like, did they dose him too? (laughs) God damn. The doctor says he's in shock and he needs a hospital, so he and Chris carry him out of the room. Now, 
it's at this point, I think somebody's like, I'm sure she's fine or I'm sure she'll turn up or something. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Still. They don't know. I have no, no yeah, idea. Yeah. We know. We know. An officer comes into the room, shuts off the light and leaves, leaving Jess alone. Let me reiterate. Just again, shoddy police work all yeah. around. Are they just like spoon feeding her now to the <laughs> to yeah. Billy? Uh, is is it... anybody else here? Billy's actually the police chief. The only... Oh shit, that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. They've been working for him this whole time. <laughs> the only thing I can think is they're like, it was Peter. Peter's dead. It's fine. Sleep sleep tight, sleep Jess. Tight. Yeah. <laughs> we hear the officers outside the room continue to talk, but continue looking in on Jess still lying on the bed asleep. Suddenly it's dark and everything is silent. The camera pans over to the bloodstained mattress in Barb's room. It pans over to Claire's empty room. And finally, it pans over slowly to the attic door as we hear high-pitched giggling. I love the reflection of the Christmas lights in the photos as they pan across. Mm -hmm. Yes. We see Mrs. Mack and Claire still in the attic as we hear Billy start to sing again. It's like, in case y'all thought. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't Peter. (laughs) We slowly zoom out of the window next to Claire. We zoom away from the house. The night is still and quiet until we hear the phone start ringing. The credits roll as the phone continues to ring louder and louder. So (laughs) what did you guys think of Black Christmas? Uh, I really liked the movie. Mm -hmm. I like I said, there was a a few things that kind of hurt it for me. But overall, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I had just recently watched it for the first time. And like we were talking before about the calls are coming from in the house and all that. And <laughs> yeah. and watching it, I see, you know, why they used it like mm-hmm. this. There's a lot of great scenes in this movie. I really, really like this movie. No, I love this movie a lot. It's honestly, I would say my favorite Christmas horror film. For sure. I just think the ending is perfect. Um, I Again, I love the for the lack of a better term, darkness of it. Oh, yeah. That it's not done. I want to ask, what do you take the meaning to mean? Let me let me specify. <laughs> <laughs> I have something of a theory about the phone calls, about the timing of the phone calls. Okay. Now, I know, like you said, when we were dropped in at the beginning, that wasn't the first phone call received. Yeah. But a murder had taken place that night. Mm-hmm. And there was mention of a rape happening before. So in my mind, Billy committed that rape. And this is obviously pure escalation. Billy committed the rape and he called after the rape. Billy killed the little girl and he called after killing the little girl. He killed Claire. He called after killing Claire. He did the same thing with Mrs. Mack. He did the same thing with Barb. He did the same thing with Phil. I think he killed Jess. I, and he's calling again. You know, honestly, I didn't make that connection before, but I think it makes perfect sense because there's who else is he calling? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a compulsion. Exactly. Um, Because he didn't really seem to enjoy making the phone calls. No, <laughs> except the first one that we heard. No, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> had a lot true. of fun with that in the in- improv and whatnot. But no, I think that makes sense. I, I see where you're coming from. The only right. problem <laughs> that I have with that is that they make mention or when they mention it at the beginning, it doesn't seem like a one or two time call thing. It seems Maybe like right. something that's been happening. Maybe you're right. But uh, but then again, he there might have been other victims we don't know about. That's that a good, he does, that's that a good he point. He does too. do it. Well, in all fairness, wasn't he calling from the attic? Yeah. So he could be calling Jess as well. 
he doesn't could, no, he, he doesn't know be. that she's been dosed. He could be. So I, I mean, just, it's I, either way. I don't. Right, right. I don't think Jess made it. I read something crazy on IMDb that the studio was like, okay, so here's the ending. You're gonna have Chris stand over Jess in bed and say something, something Agnes, and kill her. I'm so glad they didn't. And do Bob that. Clark was like, no. I'm I'm really really <laughs> glad they didn't do that. So th- again, that's why I say this is the perfect ending to me. Um, another interesting thing when. This premiered on TV for the first time in 1978. Mm-hmm. They had to postpone it because there had just been a multiple murder committed at a sorority house the same week that this was supposed to come out. Well, that's uh, not good. The multiple murder that happened at the sorority house is the Ted Bundy sorority house murder. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they didn't know yet that it was Ted Bundy. Right, yeah. But that had just fucking happened. And they were Yikes. like, oh, we can't put this yeah, on. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Poor taste. But like that is illuminating to the climate that this film was released in. Right. Like this shit happened. Yeah. Like it's. Obviously not just like this, but no, yeah, and that makes it ten times scarier to me. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. So I guess that brings us to ratings. Like I just got done blabbering about. I really love this <laughs> film. I love what it did for the genre without even obviously realizing it at the time. I love the thoughtfulness. That is given to the women in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I know that the virgin archetype thing wasn't set in stone yet, but this is a subversion of it, even though it, it wasn't a thing yet. But <laughs> I still really appreciate that. I feel like that was the easy way to go and they went the complete opposite. Um, and I love that they did this in the wake of Roe versus Wade. Right. Um, and Barb, she was written to be a bisexual, loud, fucking... I don't care, woman. That's why she's looking at the fucking centerfold on the <laughs> yeah. couch. We love Barb in this house. We love Barb. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they went there. I love that they did that. Um, besides the fact that Billy is scary as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Despite never really seeing him. Did, you yeah, never fucking no. see him. And I love that we don't get spoon fed a backstory. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can kind of piece it together on your own. And we would all probably come back with similar stories. But it wasn't beat into our heads by the film Mm -hmm. i love this movie (laughs) so with all of that being said on a scale from one to ten hidden booze bottles (laughs) i am gonna give black christmas nine out of ten hidden booze bottles and i will now open up the floor no i agree this film is so special and good and it's the pioneer the proto slasher you know yeah so much nibbled at this film like uh, like and obviously mm-hmm. so yeah. oh yeah as i said this film walked so halloween could run mm-hmm. and basically every slasher that came after owes mm-hmm. a little bit to this film yes has some of it in its dna also i read somewhere that this is the first slasher to be based around a holiday so any slasher film uh. you've ever liked based around a holiday probably came from say this. thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the story the shots the setting the dark take on a bright holiday it's just incredible its footprint is immeasurable and again it's my favorite christmas horror movie of all Mm -hmm. time but i'll keep it short and sweet not to repeat myself a bunch (laughs) and say that i'm going to give black christmas i'm joining you what nine hidden bottles of booze out of ten jp I uh, like I said, and I know I mentioned a few times. I watched this movie for the first time 
you know, at your parents' house. Mm -hmm. uh, And I really enjoyed it. There is some things that hurt the movie for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to lie. And seeing how I and and I'll be honest, seeing how I never seen this movie or heard of it until last year. Mm -hmm. Uh Like it, it, I don't want to say it doesn't do anything for me because I do like the movie, but it's not like... Like, I can't really sit there and have any attachment to it because right. I don't know much about the movie. Right. Um, the calls are very creepy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very. The noises he makes, the different voices, oh. like, that's fucking disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, not, like you said, not seeing him, that, you know, you don't know who this person is. Mm-hmm. You just know they're offing your friends one by one. Yeah. Like you said too earlier with the music, the piano and everything. And it's like the 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 POV shots. And it's like, damn, this is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing that hurts me is not so much the ending ending, but towards the ending. Right. How Jess just, fuck it, I'm going to go upstairs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really? Going against all her right, best right. judgment. And it's like, come on, you you can't be that dumb. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even, She's trying to save her. No, no, no. <laughs> Even the fire poker. I'll give you that. Cool. Right. You went with the weapon and you didn't go by yourself. You were literally told to leave the house mm-hmm. by a officer of the law. Even and her yelling up, I think, is no, fine. The yelling, I was like, oh, shut up. They're going to get but you. But at least she's right next to the door. Right. But yeah, That's you it. got your hand on the doorknob. You can run. Yeah. That yelling you know also I mean? was really intense. And like, oh, yeah. no, it was. It was. It was. You're like, God damn, mm-hmm. she's so scared. I, I don't like that the attic was never brought into play at all. You know I, what I, I mean? I can understand that. Because it, it's like, you know it's there. Mm-hmm. You guys are just <laughs> acting like it doesn't exist. Then the one thing too, and it's in it, and I get it was what seventy four. You said uh-huh. mm-hmm. so. You just found this lady. You know shit's going on. Mm-hmm. You lay her in her room instead of taking her to a hospital. This old man <laughs> faints. Oh, yeah. we need to get him we to the doctor. Him. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Do you really want me to be okay with that? that I didn't is even so think true. about that. They're like, That's, please, yeah, and, take him. Yeah, take him. Oh, he needs medical attention. Are you serious? This lady was they just sh- in some fucking s- horrible shit. Sedate her. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Even worse. Then take her to the hospital. Yeah. Oh, I'll talk to her in a couple hours. What? Are you kidding? <laughs> are this lady's friends are dead. Mm-hmm. The bloodstained bedding ha- is still right there. Yeah, she just had to kill her boyfriend because she thought he was going to kill her mm-hmm. after killing her friend let's let her take a nap we'll talk to her in a minute alone yeah alone let me turn off the light for you and close the door you let's- see in the last shot you do see a cop standing outside but what happened to the last cop that was standing outside? right and didn't you just yeah, say that no they, they told him that somebody was going to stay with her a doctor somebody was going to yeah stay but he carried mr harrison out yeah but that's not an excuse to not come back up like right. they literally I mean, I turned can't. off the light and then we're just like we're later. done here yeah. I get he's standing outside watching. You're watching outside. You're not watching this girl who just went through some traumatic shit. You're right. Why? I don't know. And then the phone. And then, like you said, the phone rings and he's just like, hmm, somebody going to get that? (laughs) What was the whole thing that was happening at this house? The Phone. phone calls. Why are you okay with that? I wish I had answers for you, but I don't. Like I said, I do. I do enjoy the movie. It's just that brief. 
You know what I mean? It's like, come on. It's like, why did you guys no, do and that, that? And that's all valid. Yeah. It's but valid. For me, like I said, this movie is, it is good and I would recommend it. And I do enjoy seeing everything that was stolen from it or used in other movies. Yeah. So out of 10 hidden bottles of booze, I'm going to give Black Christmas a 7.5. All I, right. I, like I said, I, I do like the movie and I uh, agree with everything you guys say. It's just those small things that are, and it's not even really small because it's like, <laughs> come on, what are you guys doing? Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Black Christmas and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Windigo Getter patrons. And remember, before you close a case, make sure you check everything top to bottom. And that includes the attic. Until next time. Thank you so much for staying tuned for our special, beautiful <laughs> thank you for our Wendigo Getter patrons. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. It really, really means a lot. A very special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton. Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Gary Fender, Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison Morton, Guy54, and Lala Thomas. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. You are all a treasured gift to us. <laughs> <laughs> Please know that we love you even more than Mrs. Mack loves her booze. <laughs> That's a lot, folks. That's a oh, whole man. lot. Until next time.